0: This episode of Big World contains discussion of sexual violence in war and conflict zones that some listeners may find disturbing. From the School of International Service at American University in Washington, this is Big World, where we talk about something in the world that truly matters. As long as there have been people, there has been conflict and war among them. Too often, this conflict has been accompanied by the victors using sexual violence against those on the losing side. The ancient Greeks considered women property under the lawful ownership of a man, and when the man's property was conquered, so too were the women he possessed. As human conflict has progressed through the centuries, there has, at least, been a move to classify war rape as a war crime, rather than its odious designation as spoils of war. But there has also been a recognition that sometimes sexual violence is not just a traumatic outcome of conflict. Sometimes rape is part of the strategy. Today, we're talking about sexual violence as a strategy of war. I'm Kay Summers, and I'm joined by Wanda Wigfall-Williams. Wanda is a professor here at the School of International Service. As a scholar practitioner, she has negotiated with paramilitary leaders and militants and worked to develop anti-human trafficking campaigns in Eastern Europe, West Africa, and Asia. Wanda was the first American and the first woman to be awarded the Tip O'Neill Peace Fellowship. Wanda, thanks for joining Big World. Thank you for having me. So Wanda, the United Nations defines conflict-related sexual violence as incidents or patterns of sexual violence that is rape, sexual slavery, forced prostitution, forced pregnancy, enforced sterilization, or any other form of sexual violence of comparable gravity against women, men, girls, or boys. And during conflicts throughout history, as we said earlier, sexual violence has been committed by combatants as spoils of war. But sexual violence has also been committed as part of a conflict strategy, as the means to an end. So tell us, how do you differentiate between conflict-related sexual violence as a war strategy or as spoils of war? I look at
1: rape as a strategy of war in terms of genocide. So if we go back, way back in history when nations conquered other nations, they would rape and pillage the towns. It was part of what they did. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to establish dominance. Dominance and control. So there's several things. Let me give you some of the primary goals or reasons. One is to humiliate their opponents and to destroy and take power away from women and men. Mm -hmm. So if you think of women's bodies, War is actually being played out on the body, especially if you do anything sexually related to that body. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of getting at the heart of the men. It's also a way of committing primary genocide, because often women do not survive. And it's a way of committing this secondary and tertiary genocide. By that I mean it is not Men, the soldiers, are not using their bodies to rape women. They are using guns. Mm -hmm. They are using knives. Uh, They are using broken bottles, sticks, whatever. And the intent is that if I can't kill you, I'm going to make sure you can't breed. Mm -hmm. And I heard those words from rebels in the Democratic Republic of the Congo Uh, who felt it was their God-given right since they were fighting that they had needs, sexual needs, and they wanted those met by women, Mm -hmm. any
0: woman, anywhere, of any age. So, Wanda, before you were a professor at SIS, you worked in conflict zones around the world and interacted with women who were survivors of conflict-related sexual violence and also some of the men who were perpetrating it. This is a position that most of us can't imagine, So just kind of help us understand what that was like and what parts of your experiences, getting to know their experiences, would be instructive for listeners to know and to understand. I was clearly
1: aware of rape, but I wasn't aware of how mechanized it was, Mm -hmm. how well it was thought out and planned as if you were looking at a terrorist strategy to to bomb a village or bomb a city. This is planned similarly. So I can talk to you about working in Darfur and then later moving those those camps being moved to Chad, mm-hmm. more inland. And so what would happen every day is the men would stay on the, in the camps and women would go out to get the firewood. It would be all the women, women in their 90s, infants, mm-hmm. everybody. And what the John would do, they were a paramilitary arm of the government. They would cut down the trees closest to the camp, mm-hmm. which made the women have to go farther. Right. And as they went farther, it would be harder to get back to the camp and to safety. And out from nowhere, I went out with them one day because, well, I didn't expect what I what I experienced, mm-hmm. but I went out with them one day and it was like they dropped from the sky. They came in on horses and camels with weapons and it was pretty awful. Grandmothers in their 90s were raped and if the women fought, then they would resort to destroying the woman's body. Uh, women were gang raped, infants were raped, toddlers were raped. No one was safe. And if you ran and you didn't ran, run fast enough and to get back to camp, everyone out there would, would be raped. So I really hadn't seen it in that raw a state. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I was traumatized, but the reason I was working in the camps had nothing to do with looking at rape as a strategy of war, but it had to do with... Um, understanding human trafficking Mm -hmm. and what role this particular camp played in it. So when we returned to camp, it was remarkable. The women cleaned themselves up, gathered their wood, cleaned themselves up. And there's one memory that comes to mind. Um, This woman had been raped, her daughter had been raped and the daughter was maybe two. And she cleaned her baby first and twisted her hair and put a cowrie shell in it. And she was smiling as she did that. After having, so you take that image and juxtapose it with this horror that just befell the entire camp of women. Mm -hmm. And you begin to say, wait a minute, this can't continue. Mm -hmm. But every day it did. And there was no support. Because at that point in time, the African Union was supposed to provide safety for them but they're very small at this Mm -hmm. point so there was a need a strong need for more bodies to to be there to protect them to keep the
0: peace so these women they go out for for wood and then this happens to them and they're attacked in this way and they come back to the village what about what about the men who live there is there any kind of ministering to their needs that is 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 done in recognition of the trauma because it was all the women it was the older women it was the young women it was the tiny girls do they just have to take care of each other is this spoken of
1: it's not spoken of for most men in the Mm -hmm. camps it is a silent community so women minister to other women and other children and so while once you get your baby cleaned and Mm -hmm. dressed and attended to then they hold someone else will hold your child so you can get clean and and they will go into a tent together sometimes and talk Mm -hmm. about I don't know Mm -hmm. but it's sort of that that um, fellowship that community that brings women closer together it's difficult for the men because they're angry, but at right. the same time, they're impotent to do anything. Mm-hmm. Because if they go out, mm-hmm. they, will, they too will be raped. And most likely, they will be killed. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so this is another reason why it's effective as a strategy. Because it yeah. demoralizes the men and also yeah. renders them powerless because yes. they will be killed. The women may or may not die from their injuries, but are unlikely to just be killed outright. So, in sheer terms of numbers and survival, mm-hmm. the women go out again. The women go out again because
1: there are the people who cook the food, mm-hmm. um, bathe, mm-hmm. everyone in the family, um, and there isn't anyone else to do those tasks. Right. And so, if not, if
0: they don't do it, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. For you being there as a kind of a western observer were were you terrified? How did you manage to stay safe in that situation? I didn't go out again,
1: okay <laughs> that's for certain and and I was conflicted about that right, but it wasn't my first rush with trauma mm-hmm. I had experienced it working in El Salvador. Mm-hmm with Romero, Bishop Romero. Mm-hmm. I worked with him through Catholic Relief Services mm-hmm. way, way back when I was young. And and he was a lovely man, and unfortunately, I left three months before he was assassinated, but I got to see some pretty horrid things that uh, were done to the priest, to groups of nuns, to a young girl, teenager, who was working in the rectory helping him with his paper, and doing laundry, and what have you. So it wasn't my first time Mm -hmm. seeing horrific things. In fact, it's probably little known to anyone who is outside my immediate family, but my grandmother who raised me, my grandparents raised me, she instilled in me and my brother that we should always give back, Mm -hmm. that we were fortunate enough to be born into our family, and that we had good minds and mm-hmm. that we shouldn't forget that other people need help. Mm-hmm. So I probably took that a little too personally <laughs> <laughs> and decided that I was going to work on really difficult issues. right? Right. And better me because I really thrive in that type of environment in helping others. Rather me than someone who's kind of halfway into it right. and is thinking more of, him or herself Mm -hmm. than the people you're serving. And that truly is one of the things that brought me to the School of International Service because I've had a career of service.
0: Wanda Wickfall-Williams, it's time to take five. And this is when you, our guest, get to reorder the world as you'd like it to be by single-handedly instituting five policies or practices that would change the world for the better. Specifically, what are your five recommendations for how organizations should help survivors of conflict-related sexual violence?
1: Well, when in these conflict situations, there's often the absence of the rule of law. And so that creates a situation where there's... Insecurity and thus impunity prevails. So it's in this context that rape becomes a mass crime issue and therefore necessary to work. We need to work on preventive measures. Mm -hmm. So mitigation is fine, providing help for survivors is fine, Mm -hmm. but if we could prevent, Mm -hmm. you know, a percentage of the conflict rapes war rapes. That would be a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Second, um, with little or no access to justice and care, the stigma and the trauma that rape generates cannot be treated immediately Mm -hmm. as it should. The U.S. government has um, a rapid response team for disaster areas Mm -hmm. and we need to have something like that. Mm in addition to what we already have, to come help these rape survivors. Mm -hmm. Third party interviewers, NGOs and others, must be available to assist victims physically, psychologically, and socially. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't help them in that manner, then they'll wither. Mm -hmm. Finally, accountability. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, in, I want to say Kinshasa, there was one policewoman responsible for the whole country as it related Mm to rape. She worked her job, did it well, and she arrested someone who had been using rape as a strategy of war. The fine was $2 Mm -hmm. US, so yes justice in terms of having this person arrested was done, but it's not the kind of justice that's needed. Right. That's why I say accountability is really required.
0: Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Wanda, help us understand, currently, where does conflict-related sexual violence occur the most in the world? This has been going on forever. Unfortunately, we are.
1: It's been more recent. I think um, significant policy change occurred in December of 1992. Mm-hmm. But where is it happening? If you if we look at the World War II, with the Korean comfort comfort women air quotes they were kidnapped mm-hmm. from Korea. And taken out of the country and put in what, I guess, would be a brothel. We're talking 12-year-olds, 12 to 17, 12 to 16. And they were forced to service Japanese soldiers who hated their guts Mm -hmm. at the site, about 80 of them at night. Mm. And these were not happy people who came, and they didn't care about the girls. So it happened there. Um, it it happened in El Salvador, mm-hmm. as I referred, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, mm-hmm. um, former Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Croatia, Kosovo, um, Nicaragua, and when there... Guatemala has been sort of a, a hotbed of off and on wars, so it happens there too, to men and women. Where these rapes happen, for the most part, are in really isolated and secluded places. Mm -hmm. So there are no lights, there's no anything. And if you scream, nobody's gonna hear you, and if they hear you, they're not gonna come to your aid, Mm -hmm. less whatever's happening to you is gonna happen to them. Mm -hmm. Wherever there are women, Mm -hmm. and wherever
0: there is conflict, there will be rape as a strategy of war. So how do organizations currently help survivors of conflict-related sexual violence? And I guess kind of as a primary, first part to that question, what are the organizations that are currently helping women? Who, who Who's helping and how do they accomplish their work? Because these, these women are isolated. How do, how do people get to them? How do they help them? There are a number of NGOs mm-hmm. who were able to help these women. During
1: the uh, Balkans War, I was invited to Croatia by a group called Women in Black mm-hmm. and I accepted their <laughs> invitation and everything was on the up and up, it was kosher our messages were encrypted and so we began our work, they already had a strategy and they knew about my work and I went um, and I got to work with them in mitigating some of the, the kidnapping that was going mm-hmm. on if you don't know, during the Balkan Wars, Bosnian women, Croatian women were, were kidnapped, gang raped daily, and until they became pregnant. And then they were forcibly held against their will until the eighth month, when it was too late to terminate mm-hmm. the pregnancy. That's a, a typical strategy to ethnic cleanse a group. You know, so every time you look at your child, you're going to see me. And know that right. I'm part of him. And what is that going to do to the woman? Mm-hmm. So we, we had some pretty good strategies, which I, I, I didn't come up with. I just helped out, carry out. But because of who I am and how I look, I did not blend in. And so somehow our encryption was broken and accessed. And I was issued a death threat that I had to leave mm-hmm. in 24 hours. And if I didn't, I would be leaving in another way. Mm-hmm. That was very frightening to me. It was frightening to me not just for my own life and safety, but for the women who were going I was leaving behind who needed to do this work and who were going to do this mm-hmm. work. And did you, were you able to get out within the time? Yes, okay. I got out in time mm-hmm. um, through unusual means, but I got out. But some of those women did die. So, doing this work is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. Because you carry that too. Yes. You carry, yeah. Uh, Sometimes when I'm lecturing, I'll say to my students, There are things I wish I could unsee. Mm -hmm. And you can't unsee them, they are part and parcel of you. So, what I do, which I think is the next best thing, is to process them uh, with people who do the same sort of work that I do and I can't come to terms with what's happened but I understand it's part of the world that I'm trying to make better it's a component that has to end mm-hmm. or if I can't make it end I have to do what I can do in power to the best of my power to
0: mitigate it, so I have I have very modest goals now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wanda, we recorded an episode with our dean Christine Chen about a year ago. We were talking about Me Too and its possible impact on women on the margins, women who kind of don't have power in different societies. Do you see any positive outcomes for women in conflict zones from the increased attention that sexual violence has received? globally. I mean we know that this is a topic that has certainly received more conversation than it had before in lots of different places around the world, but the women that you're talking about are in conflict zones and I don't know if a social movement is something that's ever going to be able to help women that find themselves in this situation. Do you see any any positive outcomes from this increased level of discussion around sexual assault? Yes, I have to say yes, while it's not going to lead to an
1: immediate mitigation of the problem. The fact that the awareness has been has been made mm-hmm. makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. And more and more NGO workers are going to be turning their attention to this. There are a couple of organizations. The one that comes to mind is the Center for Victims of Torture. And they're based out in Minneapolis or St. Paul. But what they do is they go around the world to conflict zones and train psychologists mm-hmm. and social workers who are of the culture about trauma healing, and that has been working. It's it's just very difficult to process that kind of trauma because everyday things are used yep. to terrorize mm-hmm. a group of people. And so when you do that, you or smell, and let's say you're walking around Five years later, and you happen to smell that smell and it, if you haven't had any intervention, psychological intervention, that means it's a trigger,
0: mm-hmm. and you could
1: go spiraling down and experiencing like it what like you experienced the very first mm-hmm. time,
0: and that is damaging and in the same way that you need For for, for military who have uh, post-traumatic stress disorders, you you need therapists who are trained to understand the situations they've been in. In this case, you need people who understand the violence that's been visited upon these women, but you also need people who understand their culture to help them recover in a way that's consistent with the way that they live their lives.
1: Exactly. You're
0: you're spot on. Um, If you don't do that, then you're doing more harm. Right.
1: And we should never do any we should think carefully and clearly coherently in partnership with people who are of the culture Mm -hmm. so that we help and not harm
0: wanda wickfall williams thank you for joining big world it's been a pleasure to speak with you thank you for having me big world is a production of the school of international service at american university our theme music is it was just cold by andrew codeman until next time